Just briefly here, um, the closing summary of Rehoboam's reign, a couple of details. King Rehoboam strengthened his position in Jerusalem and ruled as king. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, which meant that he was one year old when Solomon became king. Um, And for 17 years, he ruled as king in Jerusalem. What's 41 plus 17? 58. He dies at 58. The city that had the Lord had chosen from among all the tribes of Israel, put his name there. Rehoboam's mother was Naamah the Ammonite. So one of Solomon's wives, an Ammonite though, suggests why maybe Rehoboam drifted off from his worship of the Lord. He did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. The acts of Rehoboam from first to last, are they not written in the annals of Shemaiah the prophet? That was our prophet in the text. And Iddo the seer, which deal with genealogy. Rehoboam and Jeroboam waged war with each other throughout all their days. So they were, they were hostile to each other. Not necessarily fighting, but certainly a lot of saber rattling, a lot of reinforcement, troop movements, spies, and so forth. Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. His son Abijah ruled as king in his place. A couple commentaries bring up the point that here we do not have something which would be Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with them, with his fathers in the city of David. However, remember that we're in Chronicles, not Kings or Samuel. In Chronicles, rested with his fathers and buried is the typical way that the, that the chronicler writes all of this. So that's the usual pattern in Chronicles for saying it. So don't get too bogged down. If you do read a commentary, um, just go through Chronicles and look at all of the deaths. And you'll see that it's very rare that somebody says buried with them or buried with his fathers. It's usually rested with his fathers and then was buried. So don't read too much into that. This is Rehoboam's um, scorecard. Oh, no, his his chronology, sorry. So his reign begins at 930. He has three good years. In the fifth year, everything's taken. And then when he's 58 years old, 17 years into his reign, he dies and Abijah, his son, becomes king. We have no idea how old this Abijah was. There's no marker in the Bible about how old Abijah was. And for some of the kings of the south, we don't know their ages, which isn't that big of a deal, but just mentioning it. In Kings, it seems to be, but in Chronicles, it's just not used. So it's like a, just a different way of talking about it. They changed the, uh, you know, uh, well, um, okay. In our funeral bulletins, when Joanne Wolf was our secretary, we consistently always had in the funeral bulletin uh, his time or his sojourn in this lifetime was, you know, 99 years for or, or 11 months and six days. You know, we have that phrase. And uh, uh, many other church secretaries nowadays don't do that. So I don't think that... Uh, that the secretary at St. John's does it. Renee typically doesn't do it unless she's asked to. Other secretaries in, uh, in neighboring churches do that, so it's usually not done anymore. But it used to be a phrase that got done all the time. Big deal? I mean, you can do the math yourself, but one of the problems is, is that really an accurate statement? 
you know, 99 years, 11 months, and however many days, because how many leap years are in there? And is that, an, and what kind of account is that? And did you have the leap century where you lose a day that you thought you'd gain and all of that kind of stuff? And so I've always kind of wondered about that, that, that formula myself. Okay. Chapter 13, Abijah. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Abijah became king over Judah. He ruled for three years in Jerusalem, not a very long reign. His mother's name was Micaiah or Maacah. that the same name probably? I think so, just different spellings maybe. The daughter of Uriel from Gibeah. Um, the fact that his mother's uh, uh, father is given here suggests that she was, because elsewhere she's called Maacah, the daughter of, anybody know? Absalom. So we think that she was not actually Absalom's daughter, but Absalom's granddaughter. And that fits the text also. And that's a, also a valid way of talking about somebody who is descended through the female, just saying daughter of, when you mean granddaughter or something like that. That's okay. But therefore, this uh, Abijah has connections to the kingship through two paths, doesn't he? Both to David, one through Absalom and one through Solomon. So uh, we have a family intermarriage going on here. So he's the second king of Judah. That's not really his picture. He is descended from Solomon and Absalom, reigned three years, and it, he, we're going to see he defeats Rehoboam in a, in a war. Um, it's not when Rehoboam dies, but he's going to defeat him. And he reclaims Bethel for Judah for a while. So there's war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah got ready for battle with an army of 400,000 strong warriors, each man specially chosen. Jeroboam lined up for battle against him with 800,000 strong warriors, each man specially chosen. That phrase is used on both sides. Strong, specially chosen. What's the numerical difference? Two to one. And we're talking about half a million when we talk about the two to one difference here. That's a lot of guys, right? Um, so Abijah goes up on Mount Zemariam, which never ever gets mentioned anywhere else in scripture or biblical maps or attempts at biblical maps. What you're looking at is something you'll never see again, so memorize it because I put it together for today. Uh, Mount Zemarion, I think, might be the star, but might not be. So maybe I shouldn't even show it to you. I, I don't have the map up, do I? There, let's get off of it so you don't remember it very quickly. So he stood up on, I had to read the verse. He stood up on Mount Zemarion in the hill country of Ephraim and said this to them. Obviously, it's near the hill country of Ephraim, but not too far in. And it's maybe near Bethel but probably north of Jericho. So that's my guess. Fair enough? Just a guess. And there are a whole bunch of hills there. None of them really qualifies as a mountain, but they're high hills. So which, which one? You know, it doesn't survive. The name doesn't survive. So that's, anyway, that's where he stood. Listen to me. And now he addresses, uh, uh, in, in this speech, he's talking kind of to Jeroboam, but more to Jeroboam's soldiers. As if to say, as we read the speech, it's not your fault. 
You have a terrible leader. So, come over. In this way, can you think of somebody in World War II who talked like this? Uh, maybe to the Allied troops? Do you remember her name? You ever heard of her? You're probably not as big a Hogan's Heroes fans as I am, so you don't know. Axis Sally was one of these. There was another one also in Japan, but Axis Sally and two other women were paid by the German government to go on the radio broadcasting in English to the Allied troops. Lay down your weapons, boys. And they would even, through intelligence, they would say, I see that the, you know, the 21st Minnesota is here under the command you know, of, of whoever it might happen to be. And uh, we know that this and this and this. They would intercept mail sometimes. And they would name the soldiers. You know? You know, wonder how your wife Susie feels about you being here. She'd probably love you to come home and, and give a big kiss to your newly born baby daughter. You know, that was really nasty stuff. But that was Axis Sally. That's kind of what Jeroboam, or Rehoboam does here to the northern troops. Your, 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 your boss is, is a skunk. Maybe you should come back over. Red Rover, Red Rover. Let Israel come over, you know. So you sh let's read this speech. You should know that the Lord, the God of Israel, gave the kingship over Israel to David forever. To him and to his sons with a covenant of salt. But Jeroboam, son of Nebat, an official who served Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his master. Worthless, good-for-nothing men gathered around him. Your generals are bad guys. They strongly opposed Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when he was young and indecisive and not strong enough to stand up against them. How old was he when he became king? Rehoboam? 41. I don't know if that's really young and indecisive, is it? Okay. Now you are planning to take your stand against the kingdom of the Lord, which is under the control of the sons of David. You are a great horde. You have the golden calves with you, which Jeroboam made to be your gods. That's an interesting sentence, isn't it? They, had, they were probably up on platforms being carried by, you know, a little bit like the priests carrying around the Ark of the Covenant, but they had the golden calves with them. But haven't you driven out the priests of the Lord, who are the descendants of Aaron as well as the Levites? You have made priests for yourselves like the peoples of other lands. We got told about that. Anyone who comes with a young bull and seven rams can ordain himself, but only as a priest to non-existent gods. Gods who are not. Um, so, And we're told Jeroboam did ordain anybody and everybody who came. Any and all, it says. As for us... The Lord is our God, and we have not abandoned him. And we have not abandoned the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who minister to the Lord, or the Levites who serve with him. Can you see how this would tug at the heartstrings of some of the northern troops? We're still new enough in the divided kingdom that this is still bothering. These are first-generation divided kingdom people here. Whoops. Was that right? That was right. They send burnt offerings up to the Lord and smoke every morning and every evening, along with incense made of sweet spices. They arrange the bread on the pure table and take care of the gold lampstand 
lighting its lamps every evening. We are fulfilling our duties to the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. I like this speech, but also, can I just comment here in verse 11? Rehobo, or, or, or Abijah rather says, pure, the, the, the pure table of bread and the gold lampstand. Well, it's not necessary. The ark isn't mentioned here. But a few years ago, all this stuff got taken by Shishak. And now he says, but we have it. So is it that Shishak didn't take quite everything from the tabernacle? Maybe even not the ark. If they didn't get the, 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 the table of the showbread or the gold lampstand... Maybe they didn't get the ark either. But there's another possibility. I just want to throw this out there. Um, Do you remember what they, when we were talking about the temple, I said they brought something into the temple and probably put it in a room behind the Holy of Holies? Do you remember what it was? It was all the furnishings of the old tabernacle. You know, Solomon brought everything into the temple. He didn't want the tabernacle out there like up at Shiloh or something where it had been for a long time or over at Gibeah, you know, across town because people would go to worship there. It's supposed to have one place of worship. So he brought the elements of the tabernacle into the temple too, probably stored in a room. And when Shishak got everything else, did they bring out the old stuff? Possibly, uh, you know, there are different ways of looking at this. It, could, Rehob- could, could Abijah be lying? Yes. Yeah, he could be lying. You know, it could be, it could be uh, fake news. You know, I just want you to consider that. Or could it be that Shishak didn't get everything? Or could it be that Shishak took some, but not all? Or we got the old stuff. Or he said, bring out the furnishings of the temple, and they brought him the old stuff and kept the new. You know, there are different ways of looking at this and we're not told which one it is. I just want to say that this isn't a definitive text about what Shishak got, but it does tell us that Shishak did leave something behind. It does at least tell us some things that he didn't get. All right. And notice that he says lampstand here, not plural lampstands. And Solomon made many lampstands because the room was so much bigger. So there's... I, I, I don't know how to judge this. I'm just saying there, there are some questions here. Verse 12. Look, God is with us as our head and his priests with their trumpets are sounding the call to battle against you. People of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your fathers, for you will not succeed. However, Jeroboam had set up an ambush to come around them from behind. Remember, he's got twice as many soldiers, right? He has, uh, however, what was it, uh, 800,000 to 400,000? So the main enemy forces were in front of Judah, and the ambush was behind them. When Judah turned and saw that the battle line was in front of them and behind them, they cried out to the Lord while the priests kept blowing the trumpets. We are in trouble. So you have this in front of them. The uh, red... uh, a star continues to be where Jeroboam was. I'm sorry, Abijah was. 
And I have incorrectly in the next slide, I have Rehoboam there, but it's his son Abijah. So Jeroboam would be the two uh, uh, blue rectangles. And now he moves here. Abijah, and I'm sorry, I haven't misdone there in the slide, but Abijah is, is surrounded now. He's got enemies to the south and enemies to the north, in front of and behind. But the priests blow the trumpets anyway. And uh, what happens? The men of Judah raised a battle cry. When they raised the battle cry, God defeated Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. Who did the fighting? God. Now, does that, God, that, that mean that God uh, in strengthened the hands and the tactics and the fortune of the soldiers? You know, or did God do all of it without Judah doing any? We're not told in this text which it was. Other times we are told that, aren't we? Where the, we're, we're sometimes told that the men of Israel didn't lift a hand. And they just had to go and count the bodies and so forth. You know, go and get a, a chalkboard and a piece of chalk. Because the Lord's going to defeat the army and you just have to count up the bodies. That kind of thing. We're not told that here. The men of Israel fled from Judah and God gave them into their hand. Abijah and his people inflicted, well here, Abijah and his people inflicted very heavy casualties on them. 500,000 specially chosen men of Israel fell in battle. Half a million Israelites die. So it was 400,000 against, what was it, 800,000? Now it seems like it's 400,000 against 300,000. So you have a definitive victory here. But that's a lot of able men lost from a single generation. The first generation of the divided kingdom loses half a million soldiers in this battle at Mount, um, what was the mountain called again? I had it in the slide earlier. Zemariam, Zemariam. All right. So there are uh, more of the stats there. 500,000 lost. So the men of Israel were subdued at this time. The men of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord, the God of their fathers. Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took these cities from him, Bethel and its villages, Jeshana and its villages, and Ephron and its villages. Just with regard to Bethel, the map changes from this being the border of Judah and of, of south and north to this. What's special about Bethel? Yeah, one of those calves was from Bethel. Now they've lost Bethel. Uh, they're not going to lose it forever. They're going to get it back. But for now, they've lost Bethel. And so Bethel, um, I don't know where Jeshanna uh, uh, was. Ephraim's not very far. Um, but Bethel, and, but these are the major cities and their villages. So Jeroboam never recovered his power during the days of Abijah. Then the Lord struck Jeroboam and he died. He dies a couple years later. Um, it's actually after Abijah dies. I think it's one year after Abijah dies. <clears throat> Abijah grew strong. He took for himself, I was going to make a slide here where they, they multiply out to 14, but I didn't have time. So anyway, uh, 14 wives and fathered 22 sons and 16 daughters. Was this a wise thing to do? Maybe humanly speaking, is that what God wants for marriage? 
No, no. Um, I've been hearing people say more and more, not from our congregation, but whatever happens in their life, they will say, that must be God's plan for me. What's wrong with saying that? Was that true of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram when the ground swallowed up to swallow them and their families died with them? Was that just God's plan for me? Yeah. It also rejects the concept of sin. Whatever I do must be God's plan means that I can't possibly sin. Oh, it's a way to dodge consequences. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, just because other kings have 14 wives or grandpa, no, great grandpa, right, Abijah? How many did great grandpa Solomon have? Thousand. A thousand, 700 wives and 300 concubines, a thousand women in his court. Um, yeah. So maybe Abijah thought he was a little bit more spiritual than Solomon because he only had 14. You know, but 22 sons, 16 daughters. The rest of the acts of Abijah, his ways and his words are written in the notes of the prophet Iddo. We saw Iddo the seer. Um, in the last uh, section also. Then the very beginning of the next chapter begins. Abijah rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. His son Asa became king in his place. That's not the end of verse 1 but of chapter 14, but it's the beginning of the verse. This is um, the, this whole section in chronology. So Rehoboam becomes king in 930 when Solomon dies. There are three good years and then... Uh, Maybe two years later, Shishak's campaign happens. Rehoboam dies in 913 at the age of 58. His son Abijah is, son after, is king after him, but only for three years. So in 912 or 911, we don't know which of the two years it was, there's war with Jeroboam. Jeroboam loses. Abijah dies in 910. Jeroboam dies in 909. Uh, so that's the end of the of of those um, of those two reigns. Um, this is not as easy as you might think. Um, biblical chronology at this point is actually much more complicated than maybe you imagine. Would you like to see some of the factors here in this? Um, let me just go to this slide. Can you see it very well? Yes. Pretty well. The problem is. Throughout the Old Testament, the north and the south had two different ways of figuring out a reign. Is it an accession system or a succession system? Do you become king, in other words, uh, the day that you take office? Or is it at the beginning of the next full year? And to make matters complicated, it does appear that at one point in the divided kingdom, north and south switched systems at the same time. So for a while, they're doing one thing, and for a while, they're doing the other thing. Judah um, reckoned it's, it, in this early time, Judah was an accession year system, um, and therefore the first partial year of a king's reign didn't count for the king in Judah. So uh, uh, it's very likely that Abijah actually reigns a little bit more than three years because they didn't count the first chunk 
as being his first year. Um, Israel didn't count that, so they had a different way of counting. Um, so that's what the AC means in the first box in the upper part. The way Judah did the records, Israel, and also they have a different way of counting when the year starts. Because in Judah, they used um, one calendar, and in Israel, they used a different calendar. Does your, does your year start in um, April, or does it start in, what would it be, um, October? That was their issue. So one, one, one of the issues we have with figuring out biblical dates is don't ever think that January 1st mattered to them that, like it does to us. That was an arbitrary thing, actually, in not, not, the, not that distant past when we changed to the Gregorian calendar. But this, the idea of the, the year starting when either when spring starts or when harvest starts was what almost everybody used. And that's why these numbers don't, the boxes don't match up. So if you have somebody from the south talking about something, they may mention something and it's like almost a half a year off from what somebody from the north would say about the same event. Does that make sense? It's, it's tricky. Um, it's difficult. This is from a book called The Mysterious Numbers of the Hebrew Kings by a man named Tealy. Um, and this is just his first chart. The book is pretty thick and it's full of charts like this about which one is which. Um, but our years are in the middle there, starting in 931, 930 to 921. Um, so when you see Shishak's uh, attack there, seems to, be, to, to happen in the fifth year, according to Judah, but it could actually be the seventh year, according to Israel. You know, of this, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult, very difficult uh, system. But it does make biblical chronology a difficult part of Bible study. And it's either a brave man uh, or a brilliant man or maybe a foolish man who attempts biblical chronology um, uh, uh, at some of these things. So we'll, we'll, we'll pause there and let's just close with a benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.